Book Two, Chapters Eight and Nine of Amadis of Gaul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Amadis of Gaul by Vasco de Lobera. Translated by Robert Southey. Book Two, Chapter Eight. How Guilan the Pensive took the shield and armor of Amadis, which he found by the fountain, and carried them to the court of King Lisuarte. Don Guilan the Pensive proceeded with the arms toward the court of Lisuarte. He always carried the shield of Amadis around his neck, except when he was constrained to fight, and then he took his own. So as he rode, two nephews of Arcalaus met him and knew the shield, and attempted to force it from him, saying they would take that shield, or the head of him who carried it, to their uncle. When Guilan knew of how bad a race they were, he cared the less for them, and gave them both battle. They were strong knights, and both younger men than he. He, nevertheless, was a valiant man, and tried in arms, so that he slew one, and drove the other to flight. That evening he took up his lodging in the house of a knight whom he knew, who welcomed him gladly, and gave him another lance, for his own was broken in the encounter. He continued his way till he came to a river called Guinon, which was a great water, and over it was a wooden bridge, just so broad that one horseman might come, and another go. At one end of the bridge was a knight who wished to pass. He bore a shield-vert with a bend argent whereby Guilan knew him to be his cousin Ladacine. On the other side was a knight who kept the passage. He rode a large bay horse, and did bear in his shield argent a lion sable. This knight called out aloud to Ladacine, You must joust, knight, if you would pass. Your joust shall not prevent me, quoth Ladacine. They ran at each other upon the bridge, and Ladacine and his horse fell into the river. There would Ladacine have perished, by reason of the weight of his arms, and the height whence he had fallen, if by good hap he had not caught the boughs of some willows, by which he got to the bank. Don Guilan ran to his help, and with the aid of his squires got him out of the water. Cousin, said he, you would hardly have been saved without these boughs. All knights should avoid to joust upon these bridges, for they who keep them have their horses practised to the place, and rather by that than by their own prowess win the honour. I would rather turn out of the way and go round, if this had not happened to you, but now I must try to revenge you. By this Ladacine's horse had got upon the opposite bank, and the knight bade his servants lead him to the castle, which was a strong and pleasant fortress, built in the river, and the way to it was by a bridge of stone. The knight was ready at the bridge-end. Don Guilan gave the shield of Amadis to his squire, and took his own, and they met together upon the bridge with a most rude encounter. The knight was unhorsed and fell into the water. Guilan also was dismounted, and his horse went over, but he saved himself by clinging to the planks. The knight got upon Guilan's horse, and so to shore, while Guilan's squires took the bay courser for their master. Don Guilan presently saw the knight of the bridge shaking off the water and holding the bridle. 
"'Give me my horse,' said he, "'and let me depart.' "'How,' quoth he, "'think you to escape so lightly with this?' "'Quoth Gilan, "'Have we not performed the custom?' "'The battle is not yet over,' cried the knight, "'because we both fell. "'We must decide it with the sword.' "'Perforce must I fight,' cried Gilan. "'Is not the wrong done already enough? "'For bridges should be free for every passenger.' "'Will you, nil you,' quoth he of the bridge, you shall feel how my sword can cut. He then sprung upon Gilan's horse without setting his foot in the stirrup, and placed himself right in the road. Don Cavalier, tell me, said he, before we fight, if thou art of Lisuarte's country or court. Why ask you? I wish it please God that I had King Lisuarte here as I have thee. By my head his reign should be finished. Certes, quoth Gilan, you have now given me a good will to fight with thee, which before I had not. I am of his household, and, if it be in me, you shall never more do him disservice. Before noon, quoth the knight, you shall carry my message to him, and I will tell you who I am, and what present I will send him. My name is Gandolod, son to Barcinan, lord of Sansuena, he whom King Lisuarte slew in London. The presents you shall carry him are the heads of four of his knights, whom I hold prisoners in yonder tower. The one is Giontes, his nephew, and thy own right hand, which I mean to cut off and tie round thy neck. Don Gilan laid hand to sword. You have boasting enough, if that were all that were needed. Then began so fierce a battle that Ladacine and the squires thought even the conqueror could not escape with life but they were both hardy knights and their armour of excellent temper and they knew how to defend themselves now when their fight was at the hottest they heard the winding of a horn from the top of the tower gandalod knew not what it could mean and gilan thought it was a signal for succour to his enemy therefore they both more eagerly bestirred themselves to end the battle gandalod grappled with him and they both fell then was the fight closer and more dangerous, but Gilan had the advantage. It was evident that his antagonist waxed weary and weak, and at length, by a well-driven blow, Don Gilan lopped off his right arm. He shrieked out and turned to fly to his tower, but Gilan reached him, plucked the helmet from his head, and bade him choose instant death or to present himself with his presence but in another guise, to King Lisuarte. "'I will rather trust his mercy,' quoth Gandalod, "'than be slain here outright.' Don Gilan then took horse, and rode with Ladacin towards the tower, where there was a great uproar. The knights had broken from their prison, and seized arms, and one of them it was who wound the horn. And now they had won the castle, the gate was opened, and the servants and one knight came flying out. They called out to Ladacin and Gilan to kill those villains, and particularly the knight. Three of the men escaped them, but the knight they took. Then said Gilan to them, Sirs, I cannot tarry, but my cousin Ladacin shall keep you company. Let the castle be kept for me, and do you carry this knight and Gandolod to King Lisuarte for his judgment. Then he gave his own shield, which was much battered, to his squire, 
and took that of Amadis, and as he hung it round his neck, the tears came. They knew the shield, and hearing how Don Guilan had found it, were sorely troubled, thinking that some great mishap had befallen Amadis. So he proceeded to the court, and all that saw the shield crowded round him, and the king said, For God's sake, Don Guilan, tell us what you know of Amadis. I know nothing of him, sir, quoth he, but how I found the shield I will declare before the queen. So he was taken to the queen, and he knelt before her weeping, and told her how he had found the arms of Amadis, and sought for him three days in vain. Knowing, said he, the value of that good knight, and that it was his desire to employ it till death in your service, I have brought you these arms, in testimony of the duty which I do owe both to you and to him. Let them be placed where all may see them. There may be some among the many strangers who come here, who may know some tidings of their master, and they will be memorials to all who follow arms, that they may take example by his great chivalry. Greatly was the queen distressed at this, and Lisuarte also, and all the court. But Oriana could not remain there, and she went to her bed, and, bitterly reproaching her own folly, wished for death, albeit Mabilia did somewhat cheer her with a hope that the damsel of Denmark might find him and repair all. The knight and damsels whom Don Guilan had released soon arrived, and the two damsels who had seen Gandalin, and they related what lamentation a squire had made over the arms. Presently after came Ladacin and the knights who led Gandalod prisoner, and when Lisuarte heard what cruelties he had purposed, he said to him, Here I slew thy father for the great treason which he committed against me, and here thou shalt die for that which thou didst purpose to commit. So he commanded him, and the knight his follower, to be thrown from the tower before which Barsinan had been burnt. End of chapter 8 Chapter 9 Relating how, Beltenebros being upon a poor rock, Corisanda came there in a ship in search of her lover Florestan, and of what happened, and what she said in the court of King Lisuarte. Beltenebros and the hermit were one day sitting on the stone bench by the door of their chapel, when the old man said, I pray you, son, Tell me what it was that made you cry out so in your sleep, when we were by the fountain of the plain. That shall I willingly, father, he replied, and I beseech you, tell me what you understand by it. Then he related to him the manner of his dream, only the names of the women, those he did not tell. The good man mused for a while, and then said, with a cheerful countenance, Beltenebros, you have given me great pleasure by this account, and you also have great reason to rejoice. The dark chamber in the which you thought yourself to be, and from whence you could not get out, signifieth this great tribulation which you now endure. The damsels who open the door are those friends who continually solicit your cause with her whom you love so much, and they will succeed so well as to withdraw you from this place. The sunbeam which went before them is the joyful news that they are to send you here, and the fire wherein you saw your lady enveloped is the great pain of love which she suffers for you as well as you for her. From that fire you delivered her, that is, from the pain which your presence will remove. 
and the pleasant garden is a sign of great happiness, wherewith you shall pass your lives. Truly, I know a man of my habit should not discourse of such things as these, yet it is more for God's service to speak the truth that may comfort you than to conceal it, seeing your desperate state. Beltenebros knelt down and kissed the old man's hands, thanking God for having given him such a friend in his need, and praying with tears that he would mercifully be pleased to accomplish the words of that holy man, his servant. Then he besought him to tell the interpretation of the dream he had dreamt before Durin gave him the letter, which, when the hermit had heard, he answered, This I can show you clearly, for it is all accomplished. The place overshadowed with trees was the firm island, and the people who made such great joy about you signified the great pleasure of the islanders in gaining you for their lord. The man who came to you with the box of bitter electuary was the messenger of your lady, for the bitterness of her words you, who have proved them, can best tell. And you laid aside your arms. The stony place amidst the water is this poor rock, and the religious man who spoke to you in an unknown tongue am I, who tell you the holy word of God, which before you neither knew nor thought of. Verily, said Beltenebros, you tell me the truth of this dream, for these things have all come to pass, and therefore great cause have I to hope for the future. Yet was not this hope so great or so certain as to remove his sorrow, for he would often sit with his eyes fixed upon the ground, remembering what he had been, and his life would have been endangered by exceeding melancholy had it not been for the counsel of that good man. And sometimes, to take him away from that pensiveness, the hermit would make him go with two nephews that kept him company there, to angle in a little stream hard by, where they caught plenty of fish. Here Beltenebros dwelt in penitence and great grief, and he passed the night most frequently under some large trees in the garden near the chapel, that he might there lament without the knowledge of the hermit or the boys, and calling to mind the great wrong he endured, he made this song in his passion. Sith that the victory of right deserved by wrong they do withhold for which I served. Now sith my glory thus hath had a fall, glorious it is to end my life withal. By this my death, likewise my woes release, my hope, my joy, my inflamed love doth cease. But ever will I mind my during pain, for they, to end my glory and my gain, myself have murdered, and my glory slain. This is the version in the English translation from the French. The matter is preserved, the manner lost. The poem is curious from its age. It is printed with these marks. Pues se me niega victoria, do justo mera de huida, allí do muere la gloria, es gloria morir la vida. Y con esta muerte mía, morirán todas mis daños, mi esperanza y mi porfía, el amor y sus engaños, mas quedará en mi memoria, lástima nunca perdida, que por me matar la gloria, 
me mataron gloria y vida. He had passed one night, as usual, under these trees, when, towards morning, he heard certain instruments, touched so sweetly, that he took great delight in hearing them, and marveled what it might be, knowing that in that place there dwelt none else than the hermit and his nephews. He rose and went softly towards the sound, and saw that there were two damsels by a fountain, who, turning their voices to their lutes, did sing a most pleasant song. He stood a while, listening, then advanced and said, God save you, gentle damsels, but your sweet music has made me lose my matins. They wondered who he should be, and said to him, Tell us, friend, for courtesy, what place is this where we have landed, and who are you who speak to us? Ladies, he replied, they call it the rock of the hermitage, because of the hermit that dwells here. As for me, I am a poor man who bear him company, doing great and hard penance for the sins that I have committed. Then said they, friend, is there any house here where our lady could rest for two or three days, for she is very sick? She is a lady of high rank and wealth, whom love hath greatly tormented. Beltenebros answered, Here is a little cabin, it is very small, in which I lodge. If the hermit pleases, you shall have it, and I will asleep abroad in the field, as I often used to do. For this courtesy the damsels heartily thanked him. By this the day began to break, and Beltenebros saw under some trees the lady of whom they spake, lying upon a rich bed. Four armed knights and five serving-men, who attended her, were sleeping on the shore, and a well-appointed ship rode at anchor. The lady was young and beautiful, so that he took pleasure in beholding her. Beltenebros then went to the hermit, who was robing himself to say mass. Father, said he, there are strangers here. It will be well to wait mass for them. So they both went out from the chapel. The knights and serving-men were carrying the sick lady towards them, and her damsels were coming with her, and they asked the hermit if there was any house wherein they could place her. He answered, Here are two cabins. I live in the one, and by my will never woman shall enter that. This poor man, who makes his penitence here, lodges in the other, and I will not remove him against his will. To this Beltenebros replied, Father, you may well give them that, for I will rest under the trees as I often do. They then entered the chapel to hear mass, but the sight of knights and damsels reminded Beltenebros of what he had been and of his own lady, and renewed in him his exceeding sorrow, so that he sobbed aloud, and, kneeling down at the altar, besought the Virgin Mary to help him in his affliction. The knights and damsels who saw how he wept held him for a man of good life, and marveled how he could employ his youth and beauty in that desert place, for any sin that he could have committed, seeing that the mercy of God may be obtained in all places alike, by such as truly repent. As soon as Mass was ended, they carried the lady into his cabin and laid her in her rich bed, and she lay there weeping and wringing her hands. The damsels went for their lutes to solace her, and Beltenebros asked them wherefore she appeared so distressed. Friend, said they, this lady hath great possessions, and is of high rank and beautiful, 
though her sorrow doth now diminish her fairness, and we will tell you the cause of her sorrow, though it should not be told to others. It is excessive love that afflicts her. She is going to seek him whom she loves at the court of King Lisuarte, and God grant that she may find him there. When he heard the house of King Lisuarte mentioned, and that the lady was sick of love, the tears came into his eyes, and he said, I pray you, ladies, tell me the name of the knight whom she loves. They answered, He is not of this country, but is one of the best knights in the world, excepting only two who are of the greatest renown. By the faith you owe to God, I beseech you, tell his name, and the name of those other two. We will tell you, on condition that you, in return, tell us if you be a knight, as you seem by everything, and likewise what is your name? I am content, said he, that I may know what I ask. Know, then, the knight whom our lady loveth is Don Florestan, brother to the good knight Amadis of Gaul, and to Don Galaor, and son of King Perion of Gaul, and the Countess of Selandria. Now, quoth he, you tell me truly of his goodness, for you cannot say so much good of him as he deserveth. Do you then know him? It is not long since I saw him in the house of Briolania, for I saw the battle there of Amadis and his cousin Agrayes against Abiseos and his sons, after which Florestan arrived there, and I heard Don Galaor speak great things of his prowess, for they say he fought with him. Yes, replied the damsels, it was in that battle they knew each other, and then Florestan went away. What? Is this the lady of the island where that battle was fought? The same. Her name is Corisanda. I do not now grieve for her so much, for he is so gentle and of such disposition that well I know he will do whatever is her pleasure. Now then, said the damsels, tell us who you are. Gentle damsels, replied he, I am a knight who have had more pleasure in the vanities of the world than falls to my lot now, for which I am now suffering, and my name is Beltenebros. God's mercy upon you, said they, we must now go play to our lady. After they had sung to her a while, they told her what Beltenebros had said of Florestan. Ah, call him here, cried she. He must be some good man, since he knows Don Florestan. They brought him to her. These damsels, said she, tell me that you have seen and that you love Don Florestan. By the faith you owe to God, tell me all you know concerning him. Beltenebros then related how he had gone with his brethren and the Grayes to the firm island, and that he had not seen him since. Tell me, said Corisanda, are you akin to him? for you seem to love him much. Lady, I love him for his great valor, and because his father knighted me, wherefore I am greatly bound to him and his sons, but I am very sad for the tidings which I heard of Amadis before my coming here. What are they? I met a damsel in a forest by the wayside, singing a sweet song, and I asked her who had made it. She answered, A knight, to whom God give more comfort than he had when that was made, for by the words it seemed he had suffered great wrong in love, and complained heavily. I stayed two days with the damsel till I had learnt it. She told me that Amadis did show it her, 
and that he wept at the time and was in great misery i beseech you quoth corisanda teach it to my damsels that they may sing and play it to me that will i said he for your own sake and for his sake whom you love albeit that is no time for singing nor for aught that is matter of joy he then went with the damsels to the chapel and showed them the song which he had made his voice was of rare sweetness and now his melancholy made it more soft and in unison and the damsels learnt the song and did sing it to their lady who took great pleasure to hear them corisanda remained there four days on the fifth she took leave of the hermit and asked beltenebros if he should remain there long lady till i die he replied then she entered her ship and made voyage to london lisuarte and the queen received her in a manner suitable to her high rank and lodged her in the palace and the queen asked her if she had any suit to lisuarte that if so she might further it my lady said corisanda i thank you for the favour but my coming is to seek don florestan and because tidings from all parts reach this court i will remain here some time till i hear news of him good friend replied brisena that may you do so long as you think good at present we have no other news of him than that he is gone in search of his brother amadis who is lost we know not for what cause and she then related how guilan had found the arms hearing this she began to weep and say o lord god what will become of my lord and friend don florestan for he so loves that brother that if he finds him not he also will become desperate and i shall never see him more the queen having great pity consoled her and oriana who was by hearing the love she bore to the brother of amadis had the greater desire to honour her and accompanied her to her chamber and learnt from her all her love thus talking with her and mabilia of sundry things corisanda related how she had been upon the poor rock and found a knight there doing hard penance who had taught her damsels a song made by amadis in his affliction and the words she said were very sad my good friend and lady quoth mabilia beseech you let your damsels sing it i desire much to hear it seeing it was made by that knight my cousin the damsels then sung the song which it was a pleasure to hear and yet so sorrowful that it made those sad who heard it but oriana who understood the complaint could no longer abide there for the shame of the tears that she felt flowing and she went to her chamber mabilia therefore said to corisanda i see oriana is unwell she hath for courtesy remained here longer than she should i must go and assist her but tell me what manner of man was he whom you saw upon the poor rock of the hermitage and what did he know concerning amadis she then told her how they had found him that she had never seen a man so comely in grief and being wasted nor one of such manners in poverty nor a man so young of such discourse and reason mabilia forthwith went joyfully to her friend's chamber he who asks news said she sometimes learns more than he expects the melancholy man who lives upon the poor rock and calls himself beltenebros by all that i can learn from corisanda must be amadis 
Oriana lifted up her hands. O oh, Lord of the world, grant that it be true. Dear friend, tell me what to do, for I have neither sense nor judgment. Unfortunate wretch who by my own folly and intemperate passion have lost all my happiness. Mabilia turned away her face, that the tears might not be seen. We must wait for the damsel's return, said she. If she should not find him, leave it to me. I am sure he is this Beltenebros. End of chapter 9 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.